Welcome to The Journey to Wellness, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, exercise, mental health, and more. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Rob Smaldino, a certified strength and conditioning specialist and the athlete program director at Peak Human Performance. I'm super excited to have you here, Rob, and to learn from you. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Can you introduce yourself and just share a little bit about how you became interested in health and wellness and how you got to the position you are now? Yeah. So um, throughout most of my childhood was filled with sports, sports of some capacity. And um, I loved being involved in everything. I was always really, I was good at a lot of sports. I was never dominant in one. So I wanted to play in every single one of them. And then um, self-diagnosed with um, LMS, little man syndrome. Which I, which I learned is little man syndrome. <laughs> yes, which is little man syndrome. It's for those of us that are still cranked under that six foot branch that we think that that glass ceiling is a little bit higher than it should be. But no, anyway. Um, so basically what ended up happening was I put myself into situations where I was going to get hurt, trying to get the rebound over the guy who's a foot taller than me, landing on his foot, rolling my ankle. I was like, you're fearless. Oh yeah. It was, it was, it was a dumb level of fear though. (laughs) So, um, like trying to like gun a guy home from left field from way further than I should be trying to throw and (laughs) messing up my rotator cuff. There were a lot of times where I was in physical therapy is ultimately where I was trying to get to here is that I was in PT a lot and I basically, I really, I enjoyed being there. I, I really liked what they were doing. Like as a profession, I was like, you know, what if I could, what if I could be the person that could say, Hey, don't do what I did. So while I was in high school, I got a personal training certification and I interned at a, the PT um, that I actually used to go to, let me shadow them for a semester, which was pretty cool. Basically the thought was I wanted to be able to train somebody to never have to go through the things that I had to go through. And if they ever did, I'd be able to get them back. And so um, growing up in Cleveland, I, I knew I was probably going to go to Ohio State unless there was some kind of sport that was going to allow me to. But again, throughout all those injuries and through the glass ceiling and peaking in high school, <laughs> you, uh, there, was, there were a couple of schools that were, that were willing to give me some offers, but nothing that I knew that I could, that I would really put my heart into. So Ohio State was, on the, was first on the docket. And so um, got into their pre-physical therapy uh, program. And in the first two weeks, found out that uh, physical therapists, there's about less than a percent that were working with athletes. It might have, it might have changed by now, <laughs> but at the time, less than a percent were working mm. with athletes. And I wanted to found out in the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> quick. It was very fast. I, I remember calling my dad and being like, hey, I'm switching my major. And he went, you just left. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but yeah, so I wanted something that was going to guarantee me being around athletes. And so um i switched to exercise science i talked to my advisor and they basically were like get through exercise science whenever you get to the end of exercise science go for your masters see if you can become a strength and conditioning coach that's probably something you want to do they got me in contact with um some of the strength the assistant strength and conditioning coaches for the football team and so i interned there for a while um they like to kind of cycle through people quickly So I was only there for one of their mini camps. So it was like six to eight weeks, somewhere in that range. And when I got there, I mean, like I said, as soon as the lights kick on, 
everything's on 10. The energy's high. I, I, I think I might've told you this the other day. I got an email that was four sentences long. It was, don't, like, don't be late, be here at four. Um, you can bring whatever you want, but you can't eat or drink or have your phone on the floor. If you need to yawn, leave the room. Don't wear blue. If you wear blue, don't come back. And it was like, <laughs> essentially just like, here's how the clear cut, yeah. no BS, we're on. I love that last rule. Don't wear yeah. blue. Oh yeah. Big time. <laughs> and no one was ever going to make that mistake anyway, but, but yeah. So, um, as soon as I stepped in there, I was like, this is exactly, I don't know if it's, if it's Ohio state football that I want to do, or if it was just strength and conditioning, but I, I knew being there, I was like, this is what I want to do to some capacity. And so I finished my degree at Ohio state in 2015, got my bachelor's in exercise science, moved to Dayton, got my, uh, master's at University of Dayton in exercise physiology. Um, while I was there, I uh, interned as a strength and conditioning coach intern uh, for their entire department because at that school, the, the sport that brings in the most revenue is their basketball team, their men's basketball. So they had one strength and conditioning coach for them and then another strength and conditioning coach and his assistant did every other sport. So you really got kind of, I kind of got a chance to see like, all right, here's 15 coaches only working on one sport and here's two working on 15 sports. So yeah, it was basketball it was, school, it was, not a football school. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it was pretty eye-opening, but I knew that's exactly still what I wanted to do. So I got my CSCS over that summer. And while I was in Columbus, I fell in love with it. So I moved back here, looked for a job. Um, and I knew that private sector was something that I wanted to start in. Um because it would allow me to kind of find out what I want to want to specialize in. And so I found a job at Bo Jackson Elite Sports over in Hilliard. They offered me a tentative spot. So that basically it was like a, it was essentially like a 90 day contract. Cause there's a 90 day um, internship at the end, I would basically be offered a job. Which is and a so great I was deal. A oh yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. It's a, a one, it's a, one of the best facilities in terms of you know, they have every bell, every whistle is just massive. Mm. Um, the only problem that uh, I ran into personally, this wasn't like a professional thing. This is a personal thing is that I wasn't able to get the hours that I wanted to in order to pay for rent back here because I was in a crazy amount of debt. And I also just moved back here on a whim without knowing that I was not going to get a job right away. So um, I began the job search, found a place right up the road from there called PQ and performance. And the rest was kind of history. I, uh, I went on my lunch break. I went to their to their actual facility to kind of scope it out. And while I was there, I jumped on their guest Wi-Fi. I sent in my resume, and then i I had my car. I had my keys in my hand. I was about to turn the ignition to leave, and I took them out and I just walked in. And I'm glad I did because I ended up getting to speak with the owner. Um, at the time, he didn't. He has two kids now. Um, at the time, he was doing a lot of coaching, so he was actually there. We talked for my entire break. He actually was like, did you just send me your resume? You said your name's Rob. Like he's looking at his phone. <laughs> okay. But um, so uh, been there ever since. I think one of the biggest things, one of the biggest draws to it was I knew right from the, from the interview process alone that I wanted to be there. And because it's because it was such a long and drawn out thing that I actually felt like a person versus something trying to fill a spot, like a person versus a profession. Mm. you know yeah. um and so the interview process was 
extensive. There was a recorded interview on the phone. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say they gave me four or five questions and then I had to hit a button and go, okay, this is <laughs> <it."> <laughs> and so got through that somehow. Um, had two in-person interviews with um, some of the department heads, had another phone interview, and then I had a group interview, which if you've never done a group interview for a job, it's a very interesting situation. You get to but, see the competition. Yeah, it was odd. <laughs> it's very odd. But I knew from that that I was like, this is where I want to be because, like I said, that no, I've worked at a lot of different gyms throughout the years, but no place really took it to the level to like try to get to know me. Mm. Even if they even if they didn't choose me, they tried to figure out me as a person to know how I would be as a coach. Which is other other than the word the letters that are after your last name, a lot of other places don't give a shit about you otherwise. Exactly. But this place does. So. Um, like I said, I've been there ever since. Uh, I think you already mentioned I'm, I've become the athlete program director there. So um, we have three different department heads. There's our uh, adult program director, our athlete program director, and our Pilates uh, program director. So those are the three um, demographics that we kind of work with. They all kind of intermingle. But um, yeah, so strength and conditioning facility out of uh, Plain City, Ohio. Yeah, that's awesome. And before I dive into some of these specific questions I have for you, can you share just a little bit more about maybe the philosophy behind peak human performance and what it's all about and what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, like I said, we're located out of Plain City, Ohio. Um, the goal that we've always had is to become or is to be a strength and conditioning facility that is geared towards athletic development. So whether you've been an athlete in the past, whether you've never been an athlete, whether you're currently an athlete, there's a place for you here. And so, like I said, we have an adult population, we have athletes, we have people who just do Pilates, we have really anything. And so from our athletic population, from a 10 year old kid who's just trying to learn how to run and jump correctly, all the way up to your elite athletes, we have plenty of professional athletes that'll come in during their off season to work on some of their, um, some of the nuances that involve that are involved in their sport. So um, our biggest thing is you know, we treat every client individually because even if they have similar goals, they're everything mm. should, nothing should be cookie cutter, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think you mentioned um, earlier in a previous call that there's a lot of functionality to training like an athlete, even, even if you're not an athlete oh, yourself, huge. right? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. ultimately it kind of comes down to a couple of movement patterns versus just kind of working out. Um, that's one of like the, one of the things that one of my bosses made a shirt that says, don't just work out train mm. because ultimately it's about that. It's not arbitrary movement. It's about, you're not just coming in here to get your ass beat and then leave You're there's a reason behind everything we're doing. There should be a rationale behind everything you're doing. And again, even though you may not be doing a, you know, doing a hand clean for, uh, for your sport. Think about how many times you have to pick up the laundry basket off the floor as an adult, right? You have to run around and chase your kids as an adult, but also as an athlete, being the first, uh, being the only freshman on your volleyball team, that's training with the seniors because you're the only one who knows how to do the movements correctly is it speaks volumes to athletic development. Mm, yeah, that's really good. Um, I'm really excited to dive into this first question I have here for you. Okay. And it's that oftentimes clients will, share goals with you and goals are super important to go over. I spent a lot of time on them, but what I find is a lot of times these goals will be kind of surface level. And so can you talk about how you dive a little bit deeper past just the surface of what they initially tell you is their goal and kind of find the 
the real why behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, every single one of our clients, whether they're adult or athlete, um, whenever they're new to our facility, we offer them three things. And three points of contact are going to be the, a tour of our facility, just letting them know what home looks like, um, a, an assessment of some capacity, whether it's a mobility assessment, whether it's a performance assessment. And then the last thing is a strategy session. And so, like I said, we treat every single one of our clients individually because everyone is an individual. And so ultimately in that strategy session, it's our job as both the client and myself to try to get to find out what is the real reason that they walked in today? It's great if I ask them, hey, what brings you in? Well, I just wanna, I just wanna work out program. Yeah, but like, why are we getting there? And so it's, it's the, uh, my boss always references it as the peeling back of the layers of the onion until you get to the middle. Um, and I know we talked in a, in a, a couple of days ago about uh, the book, Never Split the Difference. Uh, it's a book by Chris Voss. Um, and he always, it's basically talking about how to um, create a situation where negotiations are possible. Um, so you being open to them having some guard up and being able to comfortably allow them to take it down in front of you to, to show you that it's, this is a safe space. This isn't something that should be uncomfortable. I'm trying to help you, but you can't turn the mirror on yourself and go, that's not a problem, but it actually is. Mm -hmm. So it's something that he references as the black swan. And so basically it's something that you bring to the table that we didn't even know existed. It's pulling the veil back. So I may not have even known that, you know, prime example, if uh, somebody comes in, you know, I, I want to weigh this amount. Okay. Well, how much do you weigh right now? Well, it's this, right? And so when you get back to figuring out what it is, ultimately you peel back the layers, you ask the right questions. Eventually you find out that, you know, this was the last time that this was the weight I was when my kids were born. And I'm really worried about, um, you know, not being around for my kids. And then you figure out that is the why. So without turning it and using it against them, you understand like, hey, this is what their feelings are or what their occupation is, what their recreation is, what their dreams are. We, it's something we reference as Ford, F-O-R-D, family, family, occupation, recreation, dreams. One of those four things is a driving force as to why they need to be performing well. Mm. And so that's what we try to figure out in that strategy session. That's awesome. I think the example you gave shows that perfectly, how you can find the why behind it. You know, it's, it's not always about getting to a certain weight or a certain body oh. fat percentage. It's often about a fear you have if you don't, or a feeling that you think you'll have when you do. And many times you don't need to reach that surface level goal to reach like the true why behind it. Is that what you find? Oh yeah. Big time. And I actually like that. that what you said is that what happens if we get there? So like the, yeah. the, the, the using the example, like let's say it was a 200 pound person that wants to be 150. I've had plenty of people that Oh yeah. I want to cut 50, 50 pounds. I'm like, okay, well, what happens if we get to 150? then what happens? And they're like, mm. what do you mean? It's like, emotionally, are you going to feel better at 150? or like what happens next? Yeah. Well, no. Okay. Well then that's not the why mm. let's try to figure out, let's peel back a couple more layers to see, to see what it is because ultimately there's an emotion attached to this feeling. And that's what I'm trying to get to. Not the number you can give me any arbitrary, uh, goal you want and we could definitely hit it but again that's not going to keep you moving forward to to habit stacking to goal stacking mm. it's just going to get you to knock one pin over and there's no other pins behind it mm -hmm. is there any question 
or questions you found are really effective to get to that why? Or is it just a matter of kind of asking questions based on where they take you and expanding on that more and I guess following the trail that they're almost giving you? That's that's a great question, actually. So there's been a couple like tried and true methods that will work for most people, but truth of the matter is it's a little bit of both. You know, I'll always ask what brings you in as like a really good small talk. Like, right. like it gets you, it gets the foot through the door. It allows that conversation to start, but then I'll ask that question again later on after we actually mm-hmm. change to go. So what brings you in? Mm-hmm. And then just to see if they've, if they've turned the mirror back on themselves just a little bit. And then, you know, ultimately you start with, you know, what has been successful in the past? What, like the last time you tried this, when, when was the last time you felt successful? What were you doing? Okay. From that time, what's changed? Has something changed? If something significant's changed, then cool, we need to address it. There's no reason that it should not be looked at. And then outside of that, ultimately exactly what you said at the very se- the second portion of your question, just seeing what, what door does that open and continuing down. And I think the more we assess our strategy session in terms of getting to the why. It's a lot less talking, a lot more listening. Mm. Those questions, are, yeah. Those questions are good, man. And I think not just for me as a health professional, I like to use them with my clients, but I think just for anybody looking for some introspection and some reflection, oh, yeah. asking those questions can reveal it's a good. lot. No, I say like even as somebody, I I feel like I do pretty well. But when I we've done these um, strategy sessions on each other. Mm. And like, it's, it's pretty powerful, even though like, I feel like I'm in a pretty good control of the things that I want. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to see, like, once it's put in front of you, like, no, I have been slacking on that. I Mm. should be doing this. I I need to cut that out. If my values are really in the right position, I would have already been where I'm at right now, you know? So, and and that's, again, that's a different, that's the different level to this place and why I like it so much. Cause I feel like as a, as a unit, we all work towards that. There's three pillars that we always associate our training towards, and it's our mind, our body, and our performance. And those, that, that philosophy is not something that you see in other gyms or in other training facilities. I've, like I said, I've worked in a lot of other gyms. No one really gives a shit what you're doing outside of their walls. Mm-hmm. But, and you, know, you might run into the personal trainer that does do nutrition. Awesome. Not there's never been one coach that I've ever had in sport that was talking about mindset, the, the way that we did. And it breaks right. out down into a couple of things. So it's um, with your nutrition background, you've probably become very familiar with what the uh, food pyramid is, whether or not it's yep. actually, it's very much outdated, but you know what it is, right? Right. Exactly. If you were to break that into three categories instead of five, the lowest portion should be the mindset. And then as you make your way up, it should be the body. The last little bit should be your training. Mm, Because the truth of the matter is, if the other two are not in alignment, it doesn't matter what you're doing with Mm -hmm. with your performance. Man, that's so good. I mean, I was even thinking earlier today um, about how I can do everything right from a nutrition perspective for a client, and they can take that and utilize it and do everything I tell them to. And they still might not have quite as much energy as they were hoping for. And mm-hmm. some of that is stuff that's outside of my control. Um, but yeah. some of it is mindset too, that we can work on things like you can also be motivated by what was that? You can also bring that to their attention. It's maybe out of your exactly. control. You can bring attention to it. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking about that exact phrase when I was going on my walk this morning, um, how I can be like, Hey, I can't help you find 
uh, necessarily what motivates you or what energizes you or your purpose in life. Cause all these things will bring about energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can point out that, Hey, we're doing everything we can from a nutrition perspective. And this is just something else you might have to look at. Oh yeah. So I thought, I thought that was really good. Yeah. Big time. That's, I mean, that's huge. Cause again, I mean, one of the things that I, I always use this analogy when we're talking about different clients and like, whenever you bring up mindset, you kind of get that weird, like look from people. Cause some people just want to come to train, but the truth of the matter is, like I said, to get further, you need to understand where your mindset is. So like the analogy I use is if, if you have a, a eight cylinder vehicle and only two of those cylinders are running, yeah, it's going to, the car's going to run. Mm-hmm. It may run totally fine. It may be able to get up to top speed. It's not going to get there fast. And it, and truly it may not get up there fast. It may not get up to top speed at all. So if you're racing that thing, when you have eight cylinders, but you're only using two, guess what? That's exactly what it's like training, but not worrying about your body and not worrying about your mindset. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the mindset's like the framework upon which we make all of our decisions. Um, those decisions shape our values, those values turn into our lifestyle. So if you're not where you're at as an athlete or as an adult, where are your values at? Do you take actions on the things that you think you say you value? Yeah. Um, so if we can understand that at any level, whether that again, as a kid or as an adult, like well past sports or even in sports, Mm -hmm. it allows us to bring more attention to the body component as well as the performance component and talking about that mindset and those values comes back to finding that why behind the goal and now it's no longer surface level if we focus on that mindset and those values so it's all coming back back around now now do you have multiple strategy sessions like throughout the year then um, Mm -hmm. kind of revisit those goals yeah so that's the goal is that um we start off with just figuring out what that goal is now we might even do another one two weeks later because something might have changed. But ultimately, every single time an athlete comes in or adult comes in, we always ask them how they're feeling, how their body feeling. And so again, it's great for a good small talk, but it's also a really good way to get checked in with where is your head at today? How are you feeling? Is this a time where we should push it in the gym? Or is this a day that we do a private session, but it's just, it's no performance at all. It's just talking about stress management. It's just talking about the uh, importance of sleep quality versus duration. It's something like that where it doesn't necessarily always need to be performance-based. It's what is basically uh, the idea. And so, yeah, I, I mean, if I were to, if I were to average it out, I, I'd be, I, I have a strategy session with every one of my clients about once a month, maybe once wow. every two months, depending upon how lofty their goals were. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's not only important to re to reassess them, are we on the right path? But then also, hell, we might have already gotten there. Right now, what? You know, and you got to so, celebrate it a little bit and then come up with some new goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I'm over here taking notes like crazy. But I'm sure <laughs> when I listen back to the recording, I'm gonna have to add more stuff in because that was that was really good. So hope everyone listening um, got that. And if not, we'll rewind it and listen to that again because that was that was some really good stuff and. Just one last thought I'll add on this topic and you can expand up anything else that you want uh, before we move on to the next question. But I just think it's really important when you were talking about how you do these strategy sessions with other coaches and you do them with each other. I was thinking like, man, yeah, I can ask myself these questions and it's probably really good for reflection and uh, introspection and stuff. But I don't think it's quite the same as if you 
have, do it with someone else because they're going to be able to ask you questions that maybe you don't think of asking yourself um, or see blind spots that you don't see. And so I feel like even with someone else, it might be even more effective than doing it by yourself. But at a minimum, you know, asking yourself those questions would be really healthy. Oh, 100%. I couldn't agree more. The, the, if you're going to do it on your own, <laughs> it involves a really strong sense of being able to go, okay, take this seriously mm. and really take, pay attention to this because it's really easy. The reason why um, we have these strategy sessions and not just send you a piece of paper with the questions that we want to ask is that you, ha you have to say it out loud. Mm. And so you have to be willing to either actually literally look in a mirror and go, this is what's going on. Or you need to be able to write down or whatever, however you end up answering it, you need to be able to put it into existence if you're going to be doing it on your own. Otherwise, there's a certain, there is a certain, you're right, that, that was a really good point is that they will ask questions that might hit a little bit deeper, the ones that you might be afraid to be asking yourself. Mm, wow. And the ones that you're now afraid to ask deep. yourself, yeah, you, you'll brush right by those. Yeah, I did a really good a really, a really good assessment on myself. But the truth of the matter is you might've skipped on something because you knew it was going to hit a nerve. Mm, yeah. They may not, they may, again, that's their black swan. They do, they wouldn't know that that hits, you, hits your nerve, but they'll find it. Yeah. And so I think that's yeah. a really important thing to do both. Mm -hmm. And man, if you transfer this away from even just the physical stuff and physical goals around performance, you go into mental, spiritual, emotional, man, you can get really deep and uh, man, we could get, we could get one of our uh, clients has to do something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Man, we could do a whole other feels arbitrary. Yeah, we could do a whole other podcast on this whole topic, but um, that's that's really good, man. So thanks for uh, sharing sharing your thoughts on that. Um, let's dive into a little bit, talking a little bit about periodization for athletes. Mm -hmm. Tell me just a little bit about how the preseason looks versus in season versus off season for a lot of these athletes that you're training. Sure, sure. So when it comes to periodization, it kind of breaks into there's a hidden fourth spot in there. So you said preseason in-season, off-season. Yep. There's one right in between in-season and off-season where it's post. Yep. So I think we talked about it not long ago, and I might have actually glossed over that. But the idea is that it's basically preparation, a transition from preparation to competition, and then another transition back to preparation. It's a, it's a full cycle. When we talk about off-season, that's when it's not sport-specific. That's when the training can be low-intensity, high-volume, builds a foundation as we transition into the preseason. The, the preseason is where I want you to be peaking the most. So that's where the transition happens between you'll start to see a drop in the volume, but a, a big spike in the intensity. There's a lot more focus on technique based exercises, coordinated movements that are much bigger instead of segmented movements. Um, it's about gearing up for the next transition, which is the transition into in season. The in-season is the competition. It's the sport-specific movements. It's injury prevention. It's fine-tuning of certain movements. So I need you to be able to maintain the strength that we built in the preseason and off-season. I need you to be as injury-free as possible. So I need you to make sure that you are mobile and ready to compete at any given moment. And I need you to fine-tune the things like footwork, the things like shoulder mobility versus stability, depending upon what sport you're in something along those lines. And then the very last one is the, is the little hidden one is that postseason. The postseason is typically where I end up doing a lot of those physical assessments, just like the strategy sessions, but the physical assessments again, because that's when you start to see how the season affected them. What more, like what mobility work needs to be done? 
if they're a rotation athlete, they probably rotated one way versus the other a lot more that season. So they're probably, um, they're probably a little bit tight in one spot and tight in a completely different spot on the other side. So, um, and then also what injuries have they been putting on the back burner? You know, what, what do we need to, what, what's important now? It's like, when, what's important now? And that's kind of how we assess the periodization of the athlete. So the postseason's all about mobility and getting back in. Then we have the entire off season to work on anything that we need to. So that way come preseason, we're peaking that way mm-hmm. in season is rocking. It just cycles over and over. Yep. And, and it's just on a constant loop. Yeah. And I think you can see that in nutrition too, where oh, you know, maybe, maybe the off season you're working on uh, getting better at meal prepping or building habits that are going to help you when we finally get to the preseason to ramp up. Now maybe we're preseason and we're increasing our calories so that our muscle glycogen is full for mm-hmm. our competition. Um, and just ramp the main thing in, in season is making sure we have enough energy to fuel our performances and our competition. Um, so preseason just slowly ramping up to that. And then in season, making sure we're fueling enough and doing everything we can from a recovery perspective. So getting those micronutrients in that sleep uh, and calories in general, then postseason, it's kind of focused on, I would say, uh, replenishing the the debt that you accumulated in season um, and making sure that um, everything that you know, the, the season drained from you, because the season can be very demanding, uh, especially for these high level athletes, making sure we're, we're replenishing all that and getting them back to hundred percent so that the off season, again, we can work on some things that they might need to work on from a nutrition perspective, whether that be adding more fruits and vegetables in this time around, or putting on more muscle or maybe getting more lean, whatever it might be. Right. So actually, um, one of the things you brought up, I think it, it hits exactly. Cause it sounds like not that it sounds actually, we both know that it mirrors the same way, whether it's physical or nutritional. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you had brought up is like in season, you're like before the season, you're starting like to address new things, bring up new habits. So that way, by the time they hit the season, they're already, they have those habits intact. Yep. It's the same thing with their training. I'm not teaching you a brand new movement when you're in season. I'm not going to run the risk of you getting hurt for no reason, because I wanted you to learn how to do this big complex movement when I can make it regressed and still make sure that you're still getting the exact thing that you need. It's the same setup. It's build the habit, get really good at that technique of that habit, compete, reassess. Mm. And then the typewriter just goes right back to the next line. That's literally it. There we go. We just get and build and then get build what we built on the last cycle. Yeah. And just get better and better and better. That's awesome. So talk to me a little bit, maybe you can give me a few specific examples on how an athlete's age or gender, or even the different sports that they play in, how their training might look different based on that. Okay. Um, in terms of like you said, age and sport or gender, like how do you, how do you just give me some examples of how you would approach a different athlete, uh, depending where they're at with their age or different sport. Yeah. So I mean, I guess in terms of the approach, and this is solely the approach, mm-hmm. nothing should really be different in terms of the strategy session, in terms of the assessment, or the assessment might be a little bit different, but the, I mean, the approach should look the same across the board because the things that are going to be different are what we do, mm. how we do it, and the plan that we both develop. Yeah. Um, those are going to be different, but the approach ends up being the same because it all comes back to what is their why. Mm-hmm. 
So every sport has a certain tools that you need to have to be successful. So we need to assess what is happening in their specific sport. So, um, but the assessment doesn't need to be like reinventing the wheel, if that makes sense. Um, sure, we're, we're more likely to, if I have an elite athlete, I'm probably gonna give them more coordinated movements because they're probably more capable of doing them, but I can get a lot of the information that I need doing really simple movements because it, it, it really at any age, because ultimately if I give you the most regressed movement, like if I gave you just a body weight squat, if that looks like garbage, guess what? <laughs> the progressed version's gonna look like garbage too. Yeah. So ultimately the approach might be a little bit different, but ultimately but the it philosophy involves, and the approach, I guess, would stay the same. Right. The approach would stay the same, but in terms of the development of the plan, that's where it becomes different because it involves a lot deeper understanding of the biomechanics that are responsible for that sport. So the difference is, I think I used what a 10 year old soccer player at the very beginning, like a 10 year old kid all the way up to the professional, right? So let's say as a 10 year old soccer player, he is probably learning how to run, how to land, how to jump, how to take contact. And that's really about it. I don't need to be doing a ton with him. Um, they're obviously going to be there, but there's going to be similarities with that person and somebody who's a collegiate athlete who's in basketball. You know, they, their mechanics are going to be a little bit different because of the skill level of them. But every single athlete can stand to be able to use their hips correctly and their knees correctly. Every single athlete is going to benefit from learning the difference between having really sto stable and really mobile shoulders and like the balance between those two. Every athlete can benefit from having core recognition and awareness. I think those are, it kind of boils down to like a couple of movement patterns. Mm. And so every athlete needs to know how to use their breathing. Like you pull from their diaphragm to create a, a response in their body to control their central nervous system. It's mm -hmm. what kind of kicks it on and kicks it off. So if their fight or flight's on, cool, it's time to go. Like I need to be able to kick that on by using my breath. I need to be able to be able to turn that off as well. That happens at any level. Yeah. If I need to get in the right mindset that I'm going to compete or that I'm going to be going into this, this lift or anything like that, I need to be able to breathe in order to, in, in order to fix that or not fix it, but address it appropriately. Using that breath, I need to be able to build up um, intra-abdominal pressure to create um, a safe environment for my spine. Every sport across the board involves some form of impact. Mm -hmm. So whether it's with a, another person or you know, pushing off a wall, landing on the ground, there's going to be some kind of impact. And if your spine is in a position where it can be mobile, that's where back injuries happen. Those where the, the very, very easily preventable injuries can happen. And if they don't understand the relationship between both of their shoulders, both of their hips, and then the line between those, that's where we start to see a lack in um, athletic development. So those are the first couple of things we work on. And then after that, it becomes, you know, what does their sport entail? If it's a swimmer, I need them to have mobile shoulders, but they're going to have a swimmer's posture. It's going to be a little bit different. So seeing what their posture looks like on a squat or on a deadlift, it's going to look different than what I would need a basketball player to do. Um, ultimately, if you know the biomechanics of what the sport entails, you kind of know what 
their deficiencies probably are throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were talking the other day, I train a couple of hockey teams in the area and in order to take a hit on the ice and still stay on your skates, yeah. there's a ton of activation through your adductors, your inner thighs, as well as your core in order for you to stay upright. So every single one of them I know probably has tight inner thighs. Mm. every single one of them is going to be doing something that's going to mobilize their hips because I don't want that. Even though they're probably the most banged up athletes that you probably have, they still need to train. I still want them to train. I don't want them to feel like garbage while they're, while they're training, but I still want them to get mobile. Um, And so understanding what the biomechanics are for the sport will kind of do a lot of the work for you as long as you know what you're doing. Yeah. So it sounds like, there's some basics that's that are really important to master for mm-hmm. all athletes, but then, man, it's just like a hard question. It becomes a hard question to answer because it's going to vary so much based on their Absolutely. training age and um, just their age in general and the, what squ- skills that they've acquired and what sport they play and where their deficiencies are. So it becomes there's a, really a lot of there's a lot of confounding variables, mm-hmm. um, and so it'd be without using like actual examples, it'd be challenging to tell you the difference that I would put into one or the other, but it wouldn't be, I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, it wouldn't be, if I had those three examples in front of me, I'd be able Mm -hmm. to write a program within the next hour about. Right. So it's, it's just, again, after being in the field, you kind of get to know what are the tendencies for most athletes? And you look for what those tendencies are in the person that's in front of you. And if they don't have them, fantastic. We get to work on something else. If they do have them, you know exactly what to work on. And that's what I was going to say too. It probably comes with a lot of experience and you've trained so many different types of athletes that now you know uh, what what each different sport or different athlete at a different age needs. So it just oh, comes with experience. Yeah, I about to say, I, was ne- I never swam competitively. I've... If you saw me on ice skates, you should probably get your camera out because I'm probably going to hit the dirt. Uh, but, <laughs> but at the same time, you start to understand what they're doing. I have uh, a lot of swimmers and I have a lot, like, a lot of people competing at a high level of sports that I never played. But you get to understand what their sport does the more you kind of, first off from watching, but then also you kind of put yourselves in their shoes. Like what, are, what does their sport entail? If you know what their sport entails, you know exactly what needs to be active and what needs to be really strong mm-hmm. and what things not necessarily can go by the wayside, but what are the top priorities? And then you can kind of go from there. Are there, are there any asymmetries? Are there any injuries? If those are all good, then let's build it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I know one thing that's important for every athlete is recovery. And so can you just spend some time talking about, make it, make it practical for the people listening um, some tips on how we can recover better recovery. Well, that <laughs> boils down into, um, the second portion of that puzzle I was talking about. So we did mindset, we did body and we did performance. The body is broken into five categories. I think if the framework and all your decisions and your values are aligned, you can kind of understand how it deals with how the body works. The body's broken down into mobility and flexibility. There's rest and recovery, which we're going to go over, but that ultimately comes from, sorry, my dog is, <laughs> hey lady. Um, Saying hi, so, she wants to be on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the next thing would be nutrition, which I, I feel like I can 
you could probably talk my ear off about, so I won't go into that. <laughs> but, and then there's sleep and stress. So basically, if you were to think about if you were sleep deprived or really stressed out, it impacts your cravings. It impacts your communication skills. It impacts your decisions and it impacts your recovery. And when you don't get enough in that, your performance is limited. So there's a really good reason why everyone is putting a lot of emphasis into sleep, not only sleep duration, but sleep quality. Yep. If you're, if you're waking up a ton in the middle of the night, then maybe we should start getting into a, an evening routine. I, these are prescription glasses, but they also have blue light in them. Wearing those throughout the day allows those eyes to not strain as much. You start putting those on before you go to bed, about an hour before you go to bed and you start developing a routine where it's like, I'm going to brush my teeth this time. I'm going to shower this time. That development of the routine, get your body ready for sleep. When your body's ready for sleep, you get to stay asleep for much longer throughout the night and the sleep quality increases. That's the first spot I always look to if somebody comes in and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just not recovering well. I'm not, yeah. I'm, the first thing I'm not going to, I'm not going to look right at their body in terms of the physical right away. The first thing I'm asking is how's your sleep? How's your stress? I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause for me, I think sleep is the biggest thing as well. And when I talk about what I do initially with my clients, there's three big things and two of them are nutrition based. Okay. Uh, so are we getting enough calories or are we fueling right? And then are we getting enough protein and timing that protein right? The third one has nothing to do with nutrition, it's sleep. And so those are the three things that I focus on in phase one of my program um, is the three most important things, the things we can do that are going to make the biggest impact. And one of them is not even nutrition related, it's sleep. So yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. And then, so like I said, sleep is big. Uh, stress management's huge. Um, if you can find different ways to not only address your stress, but manage it. So like one of the things that I, every one of my higher level athletes journals, mm -hmm. they do some kind of reflection journaling and being able to unpack the bag that you have makes the bag lighter to carry, makes it easier for you to be able to let go of things. So, you know, whether it's celebrating a win and you're writing down, like I got to do this, or you get a lot more from your losses. You learn a lot more from your losses than you do your wins. And so, Every single person that I have do that. I have them write about, hey, how do I feel right now? Um, you know, what could I have done differently? How could I be better? You know, something along those lines. Because when it comes to recovery, obviously you can recover your body. You want to make sure you have enough water. Do you know, like, knowing how much water you're going to need, whether you're training or not, is going to be super important in terms of practicality. So that's one of the things for sure. If if you don't already know, if you're not, if you're not training, take your body weight, cut it in half. That number is how many ounces of water you should be getting on a minimum on a day that you're not training. Mm -hmm. It's going to ebb and flow based off of what you're doing in terms of performance, but at least getting that is a general rule of thumb. But when we're talking about reflection after, like, let's say post game reflection, that recovery movements, medicine, great. Mobility is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Those are big things, but in terms of practical, write down what is going on between your ears. Yep. Uh, I, I remember, I always reference back to, there's a quote, it's, um, the past is a terrible house to live in, but it's a excellent classroom to learn in. Mm. And I think that is super important for mental recovery, just as much as physical, because you end up 
writing down what you're feeling, then you start, again, it starts with the mind, it gets the body, and then starts to go to performance. The performance portion is skill acquisition. I know in order to stretch my hamstrings, I need to be able to do blank. But if you don't have that as a, if that's not one of the things you are thinking about at a base level, then you don't even get all the way up to that. There's no reason behind why you're doing it. So you don't want to do it. I've mm-hmm. given plenty of athletes mobility, uh, mobility um, programs. If they're not in, interested in doing them, it's not, it's not because they don't find it like that it works. It's that they don't have the value in it because they don't see what's going on with it because mm-hmm. they're, goals are not aligning with what I'm actually building for them. And so um, when it comes to recovering better, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that often gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. So, and kind of just journaling then about, you said like celebrating wins, learning from your losses, but also just how you feel. So dialing into like your biofeedback and what your body is yeah. trying to tell you. Um, yeah. Because that's going to give you a good determination of, am I hydrated? Mm-hmm. Like, so the, to put the other things into practicality, am I hydrated? How has my sleep been for the last three days in a row? Mm-hmm. Do I need coffee or, or pre-workout to, in order to work out? If I'm, if I'm banking on it and there's probably a problem, right? If you, maybe, maybe you really saw my a, post the other day about that. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I might have. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, if, you, if you're banking on that, then there's probably something happening. And having that high communication level with yourself allows you to go, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my sleep. I slept great. My stress is kind of high. And I know I haven't, I haven't stretched the way I should. I should, I should put more time and energy into that. Okay, maybe it's not, you know, my body actually feels great, but I don't feel good. Sleep's the first one I'm looking at. Yeah. You know, and so... Yeah putting all of the abstract thought that you're writing down and then actually reviewing it and going, that's why, that's what I need to work on. That's it. I don't need to do the other things right now. This is the biggest importance. So I love that. And I think it takes practice too. listening to your body. It takes a ton of practice realizing what your body is telling you. And because a lot of people just go through the motions of their day and they never really take time to actually listen to their body. They don't actually know even how they're feeling. So it takes time to actually like sit and reflect on that. And then the other thing is like, sometimes you need a coach to guide you. So for example, that's exactly why I'm in a job. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Because like from a nutrition, I'll give a nutrition example. Maybe you can think of a training one. Um, It would be, you know, someone's like, man, I've just really been craving like chips and pretzels and all these salty foods. And I just like, can't stop eating them. Well, for them, they might not realize why their body is telling them that. For me as a nutrition coach, I might be like, wow, you might not be getting enough electrolytes and especially sodium. Uh, so maybe we need to up that from a healthy, healthy source. That way we're not turning to the chips and all these unhealthy sources to try and get that sodium, which your body obviously is craving and needs. So sometimes you do need a coach to provide that education piece behind it. But beyond that, it just takes practice too. Oh yeah. I mean, and ultimately, so if you, if you want a training portion, there are so many athletes. It's the novice. It's the novice athlete that just wants every day to be hard because they always think that more is better. Mm. More is just more. Yeah. And ultimately, when you end up burning the candle at both ends, that wick ends up getting really small until and it's gone. And that's when injury happens. That's where the lack of progress happens. That's where we plateau. That's where frustration sets in. And that's where you start to go. You know, maybe I'm not set for this, but the truth of the matter is that 
you've just tried to push yourself to the limit and your body never had a chance to reset and come back. Yeah. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't have your phone. You wouldn't start your day at your phone at 5%. Why are you letting your body do that? Mm-hmm. And trying to make it the whole day? No, no shot. Yeah. And, and so that's why periodization is so important too. Big time, big time. And it's the, it's the people that start to understand that, you know, okay, today is a 70 for, 70% day for, in terms of intensity, because this is the phase that I'm in. This is why I'm doing it. This is what I'm working towards. I'm not doing this. I'm not going for a max today. I need to be able to dial in and understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And once I understand that it all starts to make sense. And so then it, you'll start to realize that like, I do need to prioritize my sleep. I do need to prioritize my water. I do need to be able to get my mobility in on the days that I'm not training because I need to feel good when I am mm-hmm. or when I'm, if it's not training, then in my competition, same thing. So, yeah. Man, I've been loving these answers to these questions. I think every athlete and even just active individual needs to get on here and listen to this. I and wish I had more questions for you. I got one more. But um, let's, let's hit this last one. What are some methods for tracking your client's success? Methods for tracking. So there's ultimately like two things that you can kind of track success through. Obviously you can have qualitative success. You can have quantitative success. So obviously we've had quantitative success by hitting a certain number or doing a certain amount of reps of something or how fast can you run this 40 or anything like that. The way that you address it is entirely up to you. I know that I always like to try to put something on social media if that's what we're kind of talking about. But um, ultimately, the qualitative could be could be literally be anything. I've had so many, not to go back to what we were just talking about in terms of water, I've had so many athletes come up to me and go, I never knew what it felt like to feel hydrated. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like, really? Okay. Well, that's awesome. Like, like it was surprising. It took me back. Right. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah. Like I didn't wake up last night. Um, mm. I slept through the night. Uh, you know, I didn't feel like I was cramping during training. Like I felt really good. And I know it's something we're really big on is that's an example of what's the smallest change we can make that will make the biggest impact. And that's a perfect example of that. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's funny because you can celebrate them in any way. And so methods for tracking. One of the biggest things that when we go through that strategy session is we set the goals. We Mm -hmm. set it. We set a really lofty one. We set a mid tier goal and we set something easy. And now the easy one, we're still going to celebrate, but we know that we have other ones to go after. But ultimately, when it comes down to, um, you know, tracking it, it's we start with the goal and we reverse engineer. We're, we're here. We know where the goal is. We, we set the date on it. And then every day behind it, we just go backwards. It's revert. It's just taking the gun apart on the table and then putting it back together. Mm. And so, um, you know, it's. It's something that I've really grown to celebrate. And I was actually just telling my boss about this yesterday. I think it's because of the position I'm in currently. I, this will almost be a year of me being the program director for the athletes. And I feel like it's, it, it's the springtime when a lot of commits happen and just left and right, just boom, 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 boom. This person committed. This person made uh, varsity as a freshman. This person set the meet record for the hundred meter backstroke. Like it was, crazy how often like I was getting notified of that. And it was like, 
I'm going to make sure that I have something saved off to the side so that way I can always bring that up whenever they're having a down day. Yeah. But um, in terms of tracking, we actually use a, uh, we use a, a, a training app where it's just tracking your actual maxes and like what weights you're using, which is something cool inside the walls of our facility. Um, but it's an easy way for us to be able to promote like, hey, check it out. The person who can lift this the most at this age is plank. And we put it up there. So that way, oh. hey, check it out. Like I got my yeah. name up there or like we'll post about them all the time. It's it's a good way to make sure that we're spotlighting the people that are really kicking ass. And mm -hmm. so um, what's funny is that it's um, because it's the spring, we have a lot of spring athletes. So our numbers are down in terms of the amount of people that we have coming in because we have a lot of spring athletes. Um, but that's gives me the opportunity to go watch a lot of them compete. And that's one of the things, yeah. if you're an athlete of mine, I'm watching you compete to some capacity. Yeah. And here. that's my, that's my favorite part of my yeah. job is like, after I'm working all day and I get to just sit down and watch one of my athletes compete. Oh yeah. Because there's something about like seeing their fruits of their labor, like really like show up on the field or yeah. maybe even not even feel like showing, like a lot of them are like, you know, it wasn't until I started doing some like really, really good reflection, like my grades are starting to be better. It's like, no shit. Like <laughs> when you know it or like something along the lines of like even after sports, like there's so many athletes that are now that I've been training now that are now done with sports, at least an organized sport. But they're like, yeah, I made the Dean's list. I, I still have the, the habits intact of healthy lifestyle even though i am in college now we won't talk about friday and saturday but we'll talk about <laughs> most of the week they're right. they're killing it and so 80 20 roll in there <laughs> yeah. and so like seeing a, an athlete excel in their craft is so much more valuable than any monetary aspect and so that's always been something really cool for me because i feel like the more i go watch them as a fan the better coach I become for them ultimately too, because I, I always have an investment, but now I get to see what's going on. And I like, there's something that I can actually, it feels tangible. You can sink your teeth into. Yeah. And it's, and it's awesome. I think outside of performance too, one of my biggest or favorite changes to see is just the growth in confidence. So whether that's, it can be confidence yeah. in anything. So confidence in perfecting a training movement or confidence in knowing what foods to choose to fuel your body or it can just be a confidence in their personality because a lot of times, you know, for me, yeah. these athletes are under fueling and they're not getting enough protein. They're not fueling their body correctly and that's affecting them mentally too. So just seeing them start to feel better, start to have more energy, their personality like is a little bit brighter. Um, and they just walk around with a pep in their step. They have their, their shoulders back and their chest mm -hmm. out and um, they're, they're just more confident and energetic. So I'm sure you see that all the time. That's too. Huge. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've had, a private client that I never actually trained. Hmm. We never actually did anything physical. It was literally just mindset. We wow. had eight sessions. We went over the first, it was, it was, it was early in my, uh, in my stint at uh, peak, but it was, we had eight sessions. We went over, what is it? Stephen Covey's uh, habits of highly uh, effective people. There it is. Yeah. yeah. We went over that. And he took to it like crazy, but like, that's the thing is that like, it doesn't need to be physical. Like the performance again, is the top. Mm -hmm. That's what happens within our walls, but everything else trickles down. Yeah. And I used to give a, a talk. There was a, there was a prep school in Cleveland in, um, that I used to go to. And I would talk to some of the guys that are staying, they're staying one more year after high school to try to get more exposure for college. And the same way we talk about that pyramid, 
If you flip it upside down, it's a funnel. Every single one of you guys got to this top portion because of your talent, because of your performance. If you want to make it to the next level into the smaller portion of that funnel, then you need to be working on your body. And I'll tell you what, if you want to make it even further, no one at this level is not worried about their mindset. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get all the way through that funnel, guess what? You got to be doing the exact opposite flip. Right. That's so good, man. So man, these questions that you've answered have been phenomenal. So thanks so much for taking the time to be on here. Um, I don't know if there's any last thoughts you want to leave with people before you kind of talk about where they can find you, where they, they can ask you any questions, just any, any final thoughts, final thoughts, uh, yeah, <laughs> come check it out, get the work. So, um, like I said, we're in, uh, Plain city, uh, 7920 corporate Boulevard. Um, if you're ever in the area, let me know. Um, but if you're, if you're looking to find me or find peak, it is Rob Smaldino PHP. So it's R O B S M A L D I N O PHP for peak human performance. And then our, that's on Instagram. And then our, our corporate Instagram is peak human performance. And, uh, we've been, uh, working on a couple of, uh, things to try to get ourselves a little bit more out there in terms of Instagram. So got a lot of couple of things, a lot of things brewing. So nice. I will tag all those in the show notes. Um, if I'm ever in Columbus, I will let you know. We'll link yeah, up. Dude, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, do something together. So, but thank you again so much for coming on. This has been a phenomenal show. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome.